0: going to read, beginning at Isaiah chapter 42, and it's a wondrous thing that everything that we read of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus in the New Testament, every single bit of it was spoken centuries before by the Holy Spirit through God's prophets. It is a wondrous thing. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations And our sermon text is from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and Pastor Paul will be preaching from these words this morning, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. God's precious and holy word, would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for speaking. Give us ears to hear Thank you for the words of the Old Testament who cried, make a way in the wilderness, because Lord, that's exactly what our souls feel like sometimes. So make a way for our souls, I pray, that the mountains would be tore down, those places of lofty arrogance and pride. And the valleys also would be made plain, those places of fear and perplexity, all in the name of Jesus. Bring your light to us, I pray. Help us not to love the darkness. Help your servant, Paul, as he comes to proclaim. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.
1: I come to a uh, morning like this, and there's a couple things that I want to accomplish. One, it's simply I want those of us who know the Lord as our Savior to grow in our love and appreciation and knowledge of Christ. And I want for those who don't know Christ as their Savior, to maybe have a reason to put your trust in him uh, this time of the year. He is worthy of our trust. I've got a bunch of scattered thoughts this morning, more than a sermon, and um, uh, my scattered thoughts begin with just an observation, not a criticism. Uh, My observation was uh, just reading the front page of the Times Colonist um, yesterday, uh, there was a discussion there about the city council that is doing their best to remove anything relating to Christmas um, uh, from the city. And I get it. Um, it. There's just the reality, though, that more and more we are removing any reference to the Christian understanding of Christmas and making it a sentimental holiday celebration. Uh, my wife and I were able to take um, our three granddaughters uh, to uh, Milner Gardens. Uh, yesterday night. It was a beautiful display of lights. I looked and I could not find one reference to the story of Christmas. It's not a um, a criticism, it's just the reality of the way in which our world is going. And so it's our hope over these next uh, couple weeks to just allow us to have some time to reflect on Jesus and who he is and what it is that makes Christmas and the birth of Jesus such an incredible, incredible reality. And we talk a lot about the incarnation. It's part of our language as a church. It's part of what we sing. It's not a biblical word, but it is a biblical concept. And the incarnation, as I understand it, is God, the eternal, self-existent one, taking on human flesh, leaving eternity and entering into space and time. And so that in this young child, this baby that was born and then that grew, we have the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. That's what we mean by the incarnation, and that's what we mean as we talk about Jesus, the one that was born. We spent a little bit of time last week talking about uh, two of the reasons why the glory of Christ is reflected in his birth or the incarnation. One of the reasons is simply that he is the preexistent God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is clearly speaking about Jesus, the one that was born to Joseph and Mary. And so when we consider this baby, and as we gather around and do our Christmas celebrations, we ought never to be sort of taken up or overtaken by the thought that this is such a cute little baby. He probably was. But before he was ever born, he existed. And we see his glory in his pre-existent deity. The second thing that we realized from last week was from verse 3 of John, where there John tells us that everything was created through him. It's important that we understand that about this little child that was born. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's hard to wrap our heads around that reality as well. But when we consider this baby that was born to Joseph and Mary, that baby was the creator of the universe and all things in it. Through him, all things came into existence. And so when we consider this child born to um, Joseph and Mary, we are actually considering the creator of heaven and earth and everything in them and on it, and so we see the glory of Christ in the fact that He is the Creator. One of the things that I have uh, come across from time to time in my discussions with people is that they they really like Jesus. They're enamored by Jesus. They they think He's a good model. And I I think one of the things that I think discourages me when they. Um, continue to go down that line is, I think it betrays a profound misunderstanding of who Jesus is. That view sort of portrays a view, well, he was a great man, and he's a great model, and he's a great example, but he's not one that is necessarily any greater than some of the great men and women that have come before him or after him. It's really just a reflection on his humanity and a complete ignorance of his deity I think, secondly, what it may reflect also is a profound denial. I do not want to think of Jesus as God because of all the implications that come with realizing then that Jesus is God. And so, part of our goal then is to reveal to us the glory of Christ the glory of Christ as the self existent God, the glory of Christ as Creator. Today, the glory of Christ as life and light, and the glory of Christ as witnessed to by john the baptist and now by you and us first of all then the glory of christ as life and light john begins by clearly uh, making a statement about jesus in him was life and the life was the light of men It's John's way of saying again what he already said in the first couple verses that he is the pre-existent one. He is the self-existent one. Jesus needs nothing and no one for existence or for life. No one gives him life. He has always existed before all times. He has life in himself. This is one of the things that we saw last week when we read Genesis 1, and we could have read Genesis 1 again today to remind us that the life that was given to creation was given to creation through Jesus, who is the life. And so when uh, the animal life was animated with breath, it was Christ who gave them life. When the vegetation and plant life was animated with uh, its kind of biological life, it was given its life through Christ when men and women man and woman was created by God he breathed into their nostrils and he gave them life and so Jesus is the source of life Jesus is the originator of life because Jesus is self-existent life or has life in and of himself the amazing thing about genesis is it reminds us that life precedes matter not the other way around We don't have matter out of which life somehow came to be. We have life which created matter, which then gave that matter, some of it, life. There's a lot of scriptures that uh, we can uh, think about on this notion of life. One of the ones that has been stuck in my head for years now, ever since we went through the book of Daniel, is in Daniel chapter 5 where Belshazzar and his courtiers are worshiping the gods of wood and of silver and of gold. And writing appears on the wall, and all of a sudden Daniel comes to him, and he speaks to him in Daniel 5, 23, and he says, And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. does it not make sense that the one who we owe our very existence to, the one who we owe our very breath to, is the one that we ought to honor and praise and worship? And then we have Job who declares in his hand is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind. Genesis 2.7 says that when God created the man and the woman, he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. Acts 17.25 says he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And then Isaiah 42, which Pastor Barry read just a little bit earlier, reminds us again that there the God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. These are just reminders again and again and again throughout scripture that our physical life comes to us through the one who is life, Jesus Christ. One of the things that We should learn, though, as we read the Bible, and it's certainly helpful as you go through the Old Testament, is that many of the physical things that are described in the Old Testament teach spiritual realities. And it's often important or helpful to ask the question when you read a portion of Scripture and you see something described, a physical reality, say, is there a spiritual reality that is being pointed to behind that? Well, we certainly understand that when John describes Jesus as life. Because he's not primarily thinking about physical life, although that is true. He's thinking about spiritual life. That in Christ is not only our physical life, but more importantly is our, our spiritual life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, John writes, Whoever has the Son has life. He's clearly talking about something other than physical life, isn't he? He's talking about those of us who already have the breath of um, physical life in us, but now he's saying that there's another kind of life. And he says, whoever has life, or has the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is such an important thing for us to wrestle with. Spiritual life, like physical life, comes to us through Christ and Christ alone. In John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. There's this amazing um, transaction that takes place as we put our trust in Jesus Christ and acknowledge that not only is he a giver of my physical life but call out to him to give me spiritual life he gives us spiritual life that is an eternal life that will never ever be taken away from us we need spiritual life and John tells us that that life comes to us through Jesus Christ First John five eleven twelve 12 says, God gave us eternal life and the life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. It's hard to kind of wrap that up and, and understand it until you have come to the point where you realize that you are dead spiritually. As the scripture says to us, the wages of sin is death. In the garden it said, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they died. Paul talks about the fact that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. There is a lack of de- concern for God. There is a lack of awareness for God. There is a lack of spiritual life throwing flowing through us because we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And life comes to us through Jesus Christ, who pays that penalty for our sin, who takes the wages of our sin, who takes the curse of our sin, who takes away the penalty, which is death, and he gives us life. Whoever has the Son has life. John says in another place, and though that you are not willing to come, or Jesus says, you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. See, there's a tension that humankind faces, we, we feel that we can make it on our own. We feel that we can do it on our own. We don't want to come to God through Christ. We want to come to God on our own terms. But Jesus is absolutely clear and explicit that the way we come into eternal life, the way that we experience new birth and new life is by coming to him. He describes that life where he says I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly that's a I think it's a description of the kind of life that we can have here on earth there's a fullness of life that we can experience and that we can appreciate as those who have received Christ as our savior but I think there's an abundance of life in the sense that it's a life that will never end that as those who have Christ and experienced the new birth in Christ have everlasting life, it is abundant, it is full, it will be eternal. Because he says, I gave them eternal life and they will never perish. So when John says in this particular text, in him was life, he's saying to us two things. He's saying not only are, do we have our physical life in Christ, but we have our spiritual life in Christ. And so when we think about this baby, it's not just sort of some child that we can look at and ooh and ah and say, my, how cute he is. But in the hands of that child is not only our physical life, but our spiritual life. And he says, furthermore, and that life was the light of men. the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a tension that John is describing there, isn't there? He's he's saying that there's this tension between light and darkness. And that uh, the reality is, though, that no matter how great that tension is, darkness will not overcome. Darkness cannot seize. Darkness cannot comprehend. Darkness cannot overtake the light. This is another reference to the Incarnation. It's another way of describing Jesus. Jesus is the light. He says in another place, I am the light of the world. So when he says light has shone into the darkness, we understand this world is darkness. And so when the light shines in the darkness, it means Christ has entered into this world and shines the light of his glory, the glory of God, in the darkness of this world. Again, we back up to Genesis 1 for a minute. And we have this same sort of play between physical darkness and spiritual darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, we have a couple distinctions that are made. First, there's distinction between God and matter. They are completely separate and distinct. But then John introduces a second distinction, or Moses introduces a second distinction between darkness and light. He says, and darkness was over the deep. Before God began the work of creation, there was darkness over everything that God had made, the the, the, the the material that would form creation, and the Spirit of God hovered over it. And the first words that God spoke was, Let there be light. And the light dispelled the darkness. We know that, don't we? Physically. When we're in a dark room, we say to somebody, Turn on the lights. And they turn on the lights and all of a sudden things are revealed to us and we can make our way around the world. There's a, there's a perception and a reality that becomes, um, uh, that becomes open to us or available to us when the lights are turned on. But again, remember that physical realities give us insight into spiritual realities. And so just as Jesus created the light that shone into the darkness of the physical world, So Jesus is the light that shines into the darkness of the spiritual world. We think about this. We know this, don't we? We have phrases and terms to talk about this. We talk about intellectual darkness. I'm in the dark. Could you enlighten me about that? It's a way of saying that I'm ignorant or I don't know everything that I I need to know about this. And there's stuff that I need you to show me. And that's why we go to school. That's why we go to higher education. We need to be enlightened to help our... our our darkness to be dispelled we have moral darkness wow we see that all around us don't we we don't know right from wrong we have a world that is in chaos because it is in moral darkness and so we have the reality that christ comes and reveals to us the difference between right and wrong and we have spiritual darkness darkness We have hearts that have been so blackened by sin and so darkened by sin that we cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. And so the scriptures describe the reality when Christ came into this world. It says, those who sit in darkness. It doesn't mean that Jesus came at nighttime. It's a reflection of the intellectual, of the spiritual, of the moral darkness. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, all of a sudden when Christ enters into this world, there is now all of a sudden a light that comes on and we can begin to see clearly intellectually, we can begin to see clearly morally, and we can begin to see clearly spiritually. There's a fascinating text in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. I can still remember the individual that I was reading when I first read that text and He made the point, and Paul makes this point. Paul doesn't simply say you are in darkness. He says of people outside of Christ, you are darkness. It's a fascinating way of describing humankind separate from Christ. We don't not only live in darkness, we are the darkness itself. Ephesians describes us as being darkened in our understanding. Romans talks about having foolish hearts that are darkened. We are told to have no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. The reality of salvation is described in various ways in the Bible. Peter talks about it this way. He says, you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God. All of a sudden, the lights go on and we see... Our sinfulness, we see our rebellion, we see the blackness of our hearts, but we receive the grace and mercy of God, the forgiveness that comes to us through Christ, and we're transferred from one way of thinking and one way of living into another way of thinking and another way of living. In fact, the domain of Satan is called the domain of darkness. Again, it's not a physical darkness, it's a spiritual darkness. An inability to see God and an unwillingness to compliment, to, 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 to consider our actions. In fact, it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so what John is describing for us here is this amazing picture, this this reality, this truth, this glory of Christ that not only is he the one that gives physical life, he's the one that gives spiritual life, and not only is he the one that created light in the physical sense that brings light to our physical darkness, but he is also the one that sheds light into our moral, intellectual, and spiritual darkness. And when we come to know Christ, all of a sudden, we we begin to see the glory of how God always intended things to be there's that verse in proverb which says the beginning of wisdom or the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom that's not just spiritual wisdom uh, that's that's engineering wisdom that's wisdom into physics that's wisdom into biology that's wisdom into Art. That's wisdom into to, to, to life in this world that God has created. This is his world. He has made it. Every part of this world. And so as we begin to have a fear of God, as we begin to understand who Christ is, as we begin to, 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 to fear him, in other words, to acknowledge him, to live our life in dependence of him, all of a sudden he begins to reveal to us the wisdom of this incredible world that he has made. In another place in a couple places it says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that's a way of saying that uh, jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was god it's a reflection of the work of jesus in our life as we walk in this world do you not sometimes find yourself confused as what is to right and wrong do you sometimes find yourselves at a crossroad and not know which is the right way to go right or left we cry out to Jesus and we say, Jesus, shed light on my path. That's what the word of God is as well. This word is the revelation of God, the light of God given to us so that our intellectual and our moral and our spiritual darkness might be dispelled. The world is a dark place. We, 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 pull a, we, we, we stick our heads in the sand like an ostrich if we try and deny that. It's Christ that comes to shed this incredible light into the darkness of our world. It was Simon and Garfunkel who um, had that song a number of years ago, Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend. I've come to talk with you again. There's a sadness about that. You know, uh, I, he could be talking about the darkness of depression, he could be talking about the darkness of morality. It could be talking about the darkness of not knowing um, uh, where to find peace for his soul. But it's describing a kind of contentment in that darkness. It's not any kind of contentment that any of us want to have. And so Christ, we see the glory of Christ in life and we see the glory of Christ in light and in verse 9, he says, The true life which gives life to light to everyone was coming into the world. That's another reference to God coming into this world. Now it's described as light coming into our dark world. That's one of the ways that we understand the incarnation. And then the second way that we see the glory of Christ, or the third way, is through the witness of John. John the Baptist. It's clear that he's referring to John the Baptist in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's almost a a bit startling, though, to find all of a sudden, we've talked about the glory of Christ as the self-existent God, the glory of Christ as the creator of this world, the glory of Christ as the one in whom hand is our life, the glory of Christ who is the light that shines in the darkness. And all of a sudden, he says, and there was a man named John it kind of catches us off guard. But there's this this reality in which I don't fully understand, but it, it's a reality that God has placed into the hands of those whom he has brought out of darkness into the light, the task of bearing witness to the one who is life and light. He was sent from God there's a uniqueness about john the baptist he was prophesied in the old testament we've already read that uh this morning his birth was a miraculous birth he was born to a mother and a father whose childbearing years were long behind them his father was told of his amazing calling and then we hear the description of john in all of the four gospels they describe different nuances of john's ministry But he was one who was a forerunner, a witness, one who would testify about Christ. John's gospel, the whole of the gospel, is a gigantic trial. If you you read the gospel of John with that sort of under, in your mind, you'll understand that what John is wanting to do is again and again to demonstrate to us that Jesus is the Christ. And then that by believing in him, we might have life. And so John describes the witness of John the Baptist. John describes the witness of God. John describes the witness of Christ. John describes the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then he calls to our attention the miracles of Christ as they testify to his, who he is. Then he calls the words of Christ as they testify. And then he goes to the Old Testament and he says, these testify. And then he calls the disciples and he says, they testify. And the whole weight of this massing of evidence and witnesses is to bring us to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so John has come to bear witness of the light so that we might believe. God sent John, and then God sent his disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 following tells us that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were sent out into Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then God sends you and me go into all the world and preach the gospel we've just made our way through the book of revelation and one of the things that we are called to do as the children of god is to hold fast to the testimony of of jesus christ we read of those who are under the throne who had lost their lives they had lost their lives because of their witness or testimony of jesus christ we read about the churches in the book of the revelation and they are described as what lampstands and lampstands are to give light and so as a church are one of our roles in this community is to shine the light of the glory of christ out into the community of oceanside but we read in other passages, passages like Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, which is part of our role as the people of God, as those sent into the world, where there he talks about that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's amazing, isn't it, that God has given you and I the task of reflecting the light of Christ in this world in which we live. Matthew records the words of Jesus where he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world. That's amazing, is it not? That, 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 that we aren't to hide our light, as, as, the, as Jesus says. We're not to put it under a bushel. We're to set it on a hill. And just as Christ came into this world as the light of uh, of the world, he didn't hide himself. He didn't disguise himself. So as we go out from here, we are lights shining in the world. In fact, a couple verses later, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father. I find that amazing that we reflect the glory of Christ in what we do and what we see. And that doesn't rebound to us, rather it rebounds to our Father. And they look at us and they see, wow, what is it that God has done in their life? How is it that they so shed forth the light of Christ and they begin to reflect on God the Father? And so we can say, I think very clearly, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And then we can repeat that phrase, there was a man or woman sent from God and his name was Paul or Kathy. Put your name in there. We have all been sent by God to bear witness of Jesus Christ. The darkness around us is profound. I'm troubled by it from time to time. I'm, I'm troubled by, by sometimes my, my slipping into darkness. But I'm troubled by the profound darkness that some people live in. And I don't quite understand why they don't see the light. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? Somebody? And you've done it as clearly and as carefully and as prayerfully as you can. And they look at you as though you're somebody from outer space. I don't understand it fully. But all I would say to you, and I say it to myself, is continue to shine the light of the glory of Christ Continue to go where God sends you. Continue to go to whom God sends you and shine the light of the glory of Christ because it is through Christ that they will receive life and light and live everlasting with God. You might be here this morning and you're aware that you're in the darkness You know, there's nothing wrong with confessing those kinds of things. I sometimes think, you know, we we like to have everything just neat and tidy, but sometimes, you know, the best way to work yourself towards a relationship with God is to simply say sometimes, you know, God, I feel like I'm in the dark. I don't know right from wrong. I can't figure all this stuff. I don't know if you're the right way or if Buddha is the right way or if Muhammad is the right way. I feel like I'm in the dark. But then say, God, I've just heard your son is life and light. If that's true, let me see the light. Open my eyes that I might see Christ. God will answer that prayer. And God will begin to move you from darkness to light you put your trust in christ you will experience life that you've never had before and you will receive light that you never had before and your world will become one of light rather than darkness so journey be honest with god ask him to shed light in your life and he will honor that prayer father we thank you for your word this morning It's hard for us to wrap our heads around some of these truths when we live in a world where these things are certainly passively set aside, if not outright assaulted. I pray as we continue down this road towards Christmas and everywhere we go and everything we hear will largely be orientated away from the things that we find in your word. I pray for myself, and I pray for those who are your beloved children here this morning. And in the days that are coming, that there will be moments where we are in absolute awe as we think about the incarnation. That you will help us to understand in deeper ways the implications of what it means To have the son of god the eternally existent the creator of this world the life and light of this world come into this world through the child born to joseph and mary father would you give life today would you shed light today through christ i pray in jesus name amen